Hi, I'm Charles. Hi, I'm Bailey. And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where each week we pick out a fear and explore it. This week, we are talking about death. (gasps) (laughs) I mean, that's a big one. I don't like this one. You you don't like this one? No, this is like my biggest fear. Dying? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's understandable. It's I'm pretty sure it's like the the one thing that pretty much everybody worries about or is scared of. Yeah. Like well, I like ninety nine percent of people. And it's like it's the most rational fear. In my right. opinion, right? Because it's like definitely going to happen. And there are a lot of ways that you could die. Like, yeah. so many. I mean, for example, somebody could hold your nose while you're sleeping and just cut off your air supply and you just you're die, really right? You're going to have to get over that at some point. You know this, right? You're going to have to grow up I mean, get over it. You're it's fine. my traumatic experience and my PTSD. Oh, my so God. Every time I fall asleep, I just... Sometimes I have trouble sleeping because I just like, ah, you know, I can't breathe. And I just feel your cold, bony fingers over my nose. Shut up. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Well. Well. Here's a question for you. A question that I think I've fallen just plainly in love with. What are you afraid of today? <laughs> um, well, I'm definitely feeling very afraid of death since we're going to have to talk about it. Mm. I, I have been experiencing a lot of like existential fear which i think is probably pretty common given everything that's happened in the last little bit over a year what um, happened <laughs> um so i i was actually talking to my therapist about it a couple of weeks ago and i was like yeah i'm just feeling really afraid of death and sometimes i start like obsessing over it and she was like well, what do you do whenever you experience this? And I was like, I just try to distract myself and not really think about it. And she's like, yeah, that's kind of the only thing you can do because it's going to happen. (laughs) So it's best just like to not think about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I decided to actively think about it for a couple hours today with you. Mm. Well, I did choose this topic, so... Um, uh, yeah, I, it's scary. I really wasn't thinking about dying until about five minutes before I was done doing my little, like, report. And then I was like, man, I really don't want to die soon. Like, I'm not. I don't want to die, like, ever. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't think I do either. But unless you know a way to get immortal... I don't think we're we're gonna any vampires out there listening to the podcast we are open to maybe like this immortal vampire quote unquote kiss of death you know what I mean um we're into it two volunteers what are you afraid of today oh uh, (laughs) um I'm I'm pretty sure (laughs) I'm pretty sure, or I'm 
going to quit my part-time job today. Well, mm-hmm. put in my two weeks. So I'm, like, afraid to, like, bring up that conversation, even though, like, it has to be done. Um, I'm also afraid that it's the wrong choice, even though I really, really feel like it's the right choice. So that's what I'm afraid of. But yes. now I also have um, my own death on top of that. So. <laughs> Um, we're dealing with mortality on top of that I think I mean look I never wanted you to take this job so I'm happy for you I think you're making the right choice I took it and I think it served its purpose and um, I mean look we got a lot of finance from it right we put it away jobs do pay socked it away so we gonna be alright um yeah no more singing we can't we can't afford the right i know but that was just a little bit i can that's the most you get i know um how about i give us some facts and figures yeah that sounds like a good idea all right um so (laughs) (laughs) these are from uh everything you should know about thanatophobia from healthline.com and when your fears about dying are unhealthy by angela morrow from verywellmind.com did you get a lot out of that article? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I don't know if my fears of dying are unhealthy. I think, I think I've, and also, you know what's crazy to me? Hmm. What? It's like, what? I guess little trigger warning, because this is like kind of heavy. I am so scared of dying for someone whose brain so often tries to get me to kill myself. Yeah. That's, Isn't that weird? That is. It's very, like, contradicting. Because, like, somebody who doesn't want to die but has also... Suicidal ideation. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think maybe my, like, intense fear of death is, like, has been born out of my, you know, struggles with, with suicidal thoughts. And so, like, to cope with that my brain was like, you know, instead of turning down the volume on the voices that say you should kill yourself all the time, how about we just give you a crippling fear of actually dying? <laughs> and then we'll let them battle it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And then, like, for me as a person who also doesn't want to die, who also has been suicidal, but also, like, uh, uh, I, I talk about death more than I talk about, I feel like anything else. Like I bring up murder and death all the time, and people find it very jarring. But I'm like, this is the only time you can really talk about it. So, as far as we know, because you can't talk about it when you're dead. Is that what? You're yeah, because you can't talk about it when you're dead. So you might as well give it a go now. That could, but that could be applied to to anything. You realize any topic of conversation. Well, like, I only talk about (laughs) cocaine when you're doing it, or, like... No, I mean, like, you can only talk about any topic of conversation while you're alive. Oh, well, yeah, but, like, death is the one thing... Yeah, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Finish your little facts. (laughs) Okay. Um, So... The fear of death or the process of dying is called thanatophobia. Um, the American Psychiatric Association. Thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. I don't like that. 
The American Psychiatric Association doesn't officially recognize thanatophobia as a disorder. Instead, oh. the anxiety someone may face because of this fear is often attributed to like a generalized anxiety disorder or just like anxiety in general. Um, according to the 2017 Survey of American Fears that was done by Chapman University, uh, 20.3% of Americans are either afraid or very afraid of dying. I thought it'd be even more, honestly. I also thought it would be even more. But did it like did it show the age range of who they asked? Because if it was just people at college, you know those 20-year-olds don't think about death. They're like, dying. Actually, nah. actually, death anxiety peaks in a person's 20s. Great. So we're we're almost done. Yeah, I, I remember somebody telling me about like a statistic that like you have the most existential like crises like while you're around the age of like 25. Yeah, that tracks. It does track for me also. <laughs> um, however, or it would if we weren't 18 years old. Yeah. So, but I. I'm, we're almost done, but I will have... So women commonly experience a second spike of thanatophobia in their 50s, so... Well, hey, can't, can't wait. wait till 50th birthday, and that's in what? Like 40-something years? Yeah. Because I'm 10. Because you're 10 years old. <laughs> um, so the fear of death can actually be broken down into several specific fears. Mm. So the like subcategories are the fear of pain and suffering, fear of the unknown, fear of non-existence. That one is like my biggest one. Mm. Like the idea of there just being nothing and everything dissolving into like the void. That is what like scares that the shit out of me. That is scary. And like, uh, I guess I feel like some people feel like with death you have the presence of non-existence like you're aware of it but in true non-existence it would you wouldn't be aware of it right it, you don't but exist i don't even like that i don't want to not like i don't want to like, know no no <laughs> um the idea of like not having the consciousness anymore like really freaks me out even though i like know that when i don't have a consciousness anymore like i will not have the capability to care about that <laughs> Right. It's like that that like freaks me out. Um so the other subcategories are fear of eternal punishment, um, which is common among people who are like particularly religious, but also like a lot of people are afraid of being punished for things they did or didn't do while they were alive. Um fear of loss of control, which I think for me goes hand in hand with fear of non existence. Um Oh, because yeah. like you can't control well you because you have no autonomy because you yeah. just like stop <laughs> uh, and then uh and then the fear of what will become of our loved ones once we're gone uh, oh yeah. which is why i don't have any loved ones so i don't have yeah. to worry about it because i told her oh i'm good <laughs> <laughs> You can't wait for me to go. Um, so as parents age and become closer to dying, it's actually their children who are more likely to experience thanatophobia than they are. And they're more likely to report 
So when asked about how their aging and or dying parents feel about death, their children are more likely to report that their parents are afraid of death than the parents are likely to report that they're afraid of death themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so children tend to project their fear of death onto their parents. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and people who are more humble are less likely to fear death because they're more likely to just accept it. <laughs> mm. Not you and me. Well, I don't know. I was, I don't I'm, ex- think... I'm extremely humble in every single thing I do. So. <laughs> You're the most humble. I'm literally the most humble. Hashtag humble brag. You know? I do think that I'm like a pretty humble person. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not down with the whole idea of me um, not existing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound as humble anymore. Um, I guess, yeah. It's okay. I I just don't want to die because I feel like I have way too much to get accomplished. I I got time. I think I've I think I've run out. I think if I were gonna um, do anything, I would have done it by now. Mm. Look, I actually I don't logically think that, but that is my feeling. Oh yeah. Well yeah. I mean that's just the feeling of like self doubt. Hello. You and I are extremely familiar. That should be another podcast. Um we are uh, extremely familiar with that fear. But Yeah. I mean What's one thing that you wanna accomplish before you die? Jeez. Um You still get to accomplish other things. This isn't like you have to sacrifice yeah, everything else. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, what yeah. is what is something you wanna accomplish before you die? I mean I well, I want those dogs to shut up first, but it's like done. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was your wish. Now you're ready to die. I, I think still truly, I desire to be successful in film mm-hmm. or music and have long-standing success. That is something I want to accomplish because with that, it comes just like so much more ease to like get into like other things I want to accomplish, like different social um, and economic problems. So, yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. What's one thing that you want to accomplish in your um, life? Well, once you've reached your success, I want to ride your coattails. Well, yeah, but that's not something that you accomplish. That's just me pulling you up there. Um, I have to, I have to put up with you, which is an accomplishment. Pick something else. <laughs> Um, you know, for someone who asked this question, I was really unprepared to answer it. I'm I'm going through this phase where I'm reevaluating all of my priorities and my mm. dreams. Um, so I want to write and publish something. I want to write and publish a book of okay. poetry or of essays or like fiction. I would like to do that before I die. I'll read it. <laughs> I've been I've been writing a book of poetry for about four years now. And one <laughs> and I, day that and book... one day I'll publish it. I keep going back through it and being like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> just like <laughs> garbage, like slashing um, poems that I had in the collection. And so then I just I kind of it's a one step forward, two steps back process. But maybe by the time I'm 50 and I'm experiencing my second mm. uh, peak in my my fear of death, it'll that'll be the push I need to finally um, publish. <laughs> 50. How long is that away? Don't. Why are you doing this? I'm just looking for me. Oh, okay. 
But that's the same for me because we're the same age. I know. Well, that's why I was looking. Do you want to know what year it is? Yeah. 2044. Uh, that feels right. 2044. I feel that's... like I'm going to throw up actually talking about it. I take it back. I feel queasy. Okay, well, grow up. Um, <laughs> but, it's what, but, which, no one can get mad at me for that, because that's what she told me earlier. Um, I, yeah, speaking of death, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I also feel kind of, ew, ew. Okay, um, I just, I feel <laughs> weird. Um, uh, we have a long time, Bailey. We don't know that, but we do. Um, in theory, yeah. In theory, the Grim Reaper is not coming for me yet. Or you. I, ha- I have a theory. Sorry, I know you're trying to segue because I know your topic. <sighs> but I have to... I have a theory that... <laughs> I'm not going to make it very, very far. <laughs> like, I ha- I think God and I have a final destination situation going. Um, Where he's, like, actively trying to kill you and you keep evading it like some sort of sly cat. See, but you also said, like, you didn't think you'd live to, like, past 18 or something. And here you are. Yeah. Almost one year out of it. Can you believe? <laughs> Since you just turned 18. I can't um, believe it. I'm, I'm almost 19 now. Oh, my God. Um, hey, guys. Um, I guess I didn't say my sources. So here they are. Britannica.com. Um, where does a Grim Reaper come from? Wikipedia, Death Personified, uh, Creepypasta Fandom, and AtlasObscura.com about the Danse Macabre. The Grim Reaper. Okay. We're familiar. When we think of the Grim Reaper, you think of Death Personified, at least here in America or early England. We think of this, like, vision of a humanoid figure or figure i like when people say they're like it's a figure um no i actually hate it they are tall cloaked in black silent and they have a scythe which if you don't know what that is it's like a big long stick with a large curved blade on the end of it on the top um most often referred to as a man however in other um, cultures in France, Spain, Latvia, Italy. The Grim Reaper is often personified as a woman, which I think is cool. Um, men are a tired, boring subject. I think in me. my head, the Grim Reaper is personified as bones. Mm. Yeah, you know, do bones... Are all of our bones the same, regardless of gender? Except for the penis bone. But that's sex, not gender. Do we have like different bones? Do men? Yeah, I have a vagina bone, and you have a penis bone. Oh, the hip bone's connected to the vagina or penis bone. And the vagina and penis bones connected to the rib bone, and the rib bones connected to the head bone, and you have bones. Yeah, I remember that song. Mm -hmm. Um, I should have known. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that song. Hopefully you don't get copyrighted. Um, (laughs) I think it's public domain. The Grim Reaper has only been really prevalent since around the 14th century, um, but only really gaining the title Grim Reaper during the 19th century. Um, We know that this time in Europe in the 14th century was the time of one of the worst plagues in the world until now, um, the Black Plague. So that was a very interesting time for a lot of people, especially... Europeans. Um, 
so that kind of goes into um, there was a lot of art that gave like a, a a personification of death with a skeletal figure because we all leave behind bones when we die. That's like all that's left. I'm um, taking mine with me. She Bailey's taking hers with her, and um, it is not. She's not gonna sell them to anybody. Although I kind of want to keep your skull. What? It's fine. Um, it'd be kind of cool to collect people's skulls. No, it wouldn't. Um, oh, you know what? I never asked you, would you rather? I never really thought of it either. Let's see if we can make a good one up. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Um, would you rather you die in 800 years from now? Would you rather have the job of the Grim Reaper to take people's souls or be the one who gets to a point who gets to be born? Okay. So in this reality, there are like a collection of souls and only some of them get to be born and I get to pick who gets to be born or I reap the souls of the dead and take them to the afterlife. Yeah. So either you get to take, and this is like very like reincarnation kind of like you get to choose from the collective of the souls, like who goes where to their next life, what it is, blah, blah, blah. blah. So everyone's going back, but I get to choose like you come back as a worm or a prince. Yeah. You get to choose like where the soul goes or you get to take the soul. Both very humbling and important experiences. I think I would take the souls because I honestly think like I would be a very comforting person. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I think I would be really good at, like, calming people down who have died. Okay, Bec- okay. I think, I think I'd think i be good at that. I think, you know. Except if they were, like, a dick, I'd be, like, really mean to them. You're like, let's go. You died. Come on. It's over. It's over. Okay? And, and guess what? Everyone's really happy about that. <laughs> so. Because you were a terrible person. Um, I think... I do think that I could do that job for that reason, but I honestly think I would love to help people, like, on their spiritual, like, life journey and, like, decide, like, because of what you did in this life, now here's what you need to learn or, like, here's what else is... Too much responsibility for for me, I think. Yeah, but I'm really cool, so... True. I Yeah, so I can do that. Um, Yeah, good question, Charles. So... Going back, we had the Black Plague, right? And there were a whole bunch of people dying. There'd be, um, you know, a lot of people in black cloaks who would do all the funeral stuff for all these large piles of bodies. So they surmise that that's where the Grim Reaper that we know of gets his appearance from just bones because people have skeletons. And then the religious kind of black shrouds. Um the scythe is really just, I mean, self-explanatory. Scythes are used in um, harvesting grain to chop down some grain and wheat when it's ready to be plucked and turned into something else. And in that same regard, when people are grown and ready to be harvested, our souls are then reaped as well. Um, the earliest appearance of the name Grim Reaper, like I said, was in like around the 19th century, but this one was in a book called The Circle of Human Life, which I'm not sure that I ever want to read it, but it says, all know full well that life cannot last above 70 or at the most 80 years. (laughs) We reach, if we reach that term without meeting the Grim Reaper with his scythe there or thereabout, meet him, we surely shall. So basically saying if you don't meet him by 80 or 70, 
it'll happen soon. <laughs> um, which I found very uh, poignant for 1847. Um, it, yeah, um, a more modern, there's, listen, the Grim Reaper is carried on throughout me- nowadays, especially many like different horror tropes and books and comics and movies and films and tattoos. Um, there is though a very popular one on the internet that is a modern take, a very thought provoking story from a creepy pasta. Um, I have an ex, I have an excerpt of this story. Um, it's basically about a man who considers himself to be like a nihilist and, um, he's atheist, doesn't really believe in anything, and Death, the Grim Reaper himself, takes him along to see if he can bring this man some, like, perspective on why our time here is worth living. Um, so here is that little excerpt. This and he's is, visited by three ghosts. He's visited by three? Who teach him not to be so greedy. <laughs> His name? Ebenezer Scrooge. So this is the man talking to the Grim Reaper in the car on the way to harvest one of the first souls. Wait, the Grim Reaper drives a car? He drives a car. Now. Fast one. He's like flexing on you as he delivers your soul yeah, to the Yeah, he's like, world. this is my hearse. Um, it's actually sponsored by Rolls Royce. Um, except also Tesla was in on it too, so I have like a one of a kind. It's fine. So the man says, how how does all of this work? What happens after, you know, we naff off? The Reaper says, nothing really. I just come, kill whatever that is dying, and that's it. So there's no, like, heaven or hell or anything? I asked, not breaking my gaze away from the road ahead of me. No. You have your lifespan in this reality, and that's it. It pretty much applies to anything in existence, although there are some exceptions. Like God? I asked. There is no God, boy. There is a myriad of beings like me that could be considered gods. There is no one god with a capital G that is in charge of everything. Abrahamic religions are the odd one out. And not just on this planet. They have a clock in them as well, and when their time runs out, they will be snuffed by me. Oh. Wow. I was utterly speechless. There are more things out there, just like him. Emphasis on the plural. That thought still blows my mind away. So how did you all come to be? I asked. I don't remember, child. I'm old. Far older than this universe, and I've seen a few hundred of them come and go. I ended most of them myself. This one is no exception. It is still in its toddler stage. There is still time. End excerpt. I found that part to be very, very interesting. So the Grim Reaper in this story is like... ancient immortal he's the closest we get to a god in this world Mm -hmm. but he has memory problems i guess he's been around for a long time i mean like it's not just it it surpasses like our knowledge of the universe like there have been other civilizations like us before and there could be like many after like that's a long time to remember all the stuff. Well, he's a god, so he should figure but it out. But he said he's not a god. He's just a, a being. He said that some of it, like, could be considered a god, but, like, he's not. Okay, well, I also have memory issues and drive a car, so I would even in, to also be immortal. Even in the story, he says, like, even he'll come to an end someday when there's nothing to take. He's, he assumes that he'll just go. Because he, even he doesn't really know. Interesting. 
I know. One of the most popular explanations of the lore behind the Grim Reaper is from a Greek myth of Thanatos. And Thanatos was the son of Nyx. She makes gray eyeliner, um, but she's also the primordial goddess of the night. Um, His father is Erebus, the Greek god of darkness. Nyx and Erebus were um, parents to many like, quote-unquote, evil um, deities, and famously, Thanatos had a twin brother in the form of Hypnos, who was the Greek god of sleep. Other siblings uh, who are notable are the Moirai and the Fates, and Thanatos had a role of psychopomp, which I did not know what a psychopomp was, so I had to look that up. Um, A psychopomp is like... Um, any creatures, spirits, or angels, or deities um, in many religions whose responsibility it is to escort people who just died to the afterlife. Um, they're, and it, they're not like the judge and jury. They're just like the escort. So yeah. Thanatos, so in the Greek myth, um, he collected the spirits of the deceased with his sisters, the Moirai, um, and they decided that the life of the individual had to come to an end, and Thanatos would then ensure that the spirit of the deceased mortal was safely transported to the underworld and the bank of the Acheron. Um, there, the spirit would be able to cross upon the skiff of Charon as long as the person had been buried with the correct burial rituals, which, if I remember correctly from a lot of Greek mythology, that is like the two golden coins over the eyes so that they can pay the ferryman to carry them across the river sticks. Um, and if you don't have those coins, I don't know what happens to you. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, so, Bailey, if you die, I'll throw some coins over your eyes just in case. Thank you. I hope you do the same for me. Nope. Make it like one of those $5 coins. Do we have those? Just bury me yeah. with a hundred in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That'll definitely... You know, we have to account for inflation. Right. Over the years. So we got to do like a couple hundred in the mouth, maybe a a prepaid Visa gift card for 50 tucked in the shirt pocket. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there is other versions of Death Personified that isn't quite categorized as the Grim Reaper. Um, the Grim Reaper's lore kind of ends there with just other people making up their own stuff. Of like, I met the Grim Reaper. I'm like, no, you didn't. You really didn't. You're just making up some dumb story. Um, in early France, there is the Danse Macabre, or the Dance of Death, um, where skeletons escort living humans to their graves in a lively waltz, and kings and knights and commoners alike join in, conveying that um, like, regardless of where you come from in life, that death comes for everybody. Um, and I think... <laughs> It just kind of it's very jovial but hilarious to think yeah. of like skeletons being like, Let's go, baby and then you all just, just do like, it a little jive dig. to your your grave, I guess. Which I Honestly, like maybe my favorite way I've heard so far. Yes. I I'm very excited if that's what gets to happen. Final <laughs> resting and you get to like jive to your hole. Well yeah, jive to your hole. In Celtic folklore, there's the Anko. Uh, yeah, so it's like the spirit of a person, of the last person that died within a community and appears as a tall, haggard figure. I love the word haggard. Um, 
with a white hat and long white hair or a skeleton with a revolving head. Um, they drive a deathly wagon or cart with a creaking axle, and the cart or wagon is piled high with corpses, and a stop at a cabin means that somebody inside is getting ready to be piled on top. Or maybe in the middle. I don't know their process. Irish mythology, there is the Dullahan, whose head might be tucked under their arm. Um, it could be a him or a her. And the carriage is pulled by black horses. And if they stop at the house, same thing. The Dullahan um, is gonna call uh, is gonna like call them out and um, take their soul with them. But also, it do you says think it- it's ever like in those like TV shows, like those bounty hunting TV shows, where they pull up to the house and then the person just bolts? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no. No, <laughs> probably. And then, like the cameraman behind the the Dullahan is like following as they like run super fast and tackle them and drag them to the cart. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because listen to this, um, the Dullahan. Some say that could even just call somebody's name and they would immediately die. And it did not like being watched. So if it believed that it was being watched, it would Jesus. Uh, it would lash, like, so let's say there's a person watching the Dullahan, okay? It would lash at them with a whip made of a spine, or Ugh. they would toss a basin of blood on the person, which was a sign that that person was going to die next. All right, don't watch imagine the Dullahan. I know. Imagine me whipped with a spine. Um, then yeah. we have other Gaelic lore um, that involves the female spirit. We know her well. The Banshee. Can we get a round of applause for the Banshee? She's just out there screaming her head off and saying hey someone soon is about to die and i'm here to spill the tea on it she'll just scream all night um some people say that she can appear i love just the term that of a typically ugly frightful hag um (laughs) which is going in my tinder bio um typical ugly frightful hag but in some stories she chooses to appear young and pretty yes it's like the difference between me on no makeup and makeup days. <laughs> She's young and beautiful, or a frightful old hag, but either way, she will scream to tell you about somebody's death. <laughs> That's Bailey. Um, in Scottish folklore, there is a belief that a black or dark green or white dog um, took dying souls to the afterlife. Why? I don't know. Oh, I would like for a dog to take me. Well, it might not just... It might, like snarl and like drag your soul to hell like i don't know um in mexico there is our lady of the holy death santa muerte um she is like a female deity that's become really popular it says in the recent years um also known as la calavera katrina um she is like a character who symbolizes death and is an icon on dia de los muertos which I would love to actually see in Mexico someday, being as culturally responsible and not tone deaf as possible. (laughs) There is in India, King Yama, who rides a black buffalo and carries a rope lasso that leads the souls back to his home. So instead of a scythe, he's got a lasso. He said, look, I'll reel you right in. Um, In Abrahamic religions, there is the angel of death so think of the prince of egypt that kind of feel we had moses and one of the plagues um because pharaoh wouldn't let 
God's people go. Um, the angel of death came and took all the firstborns unless you had lamb's blood painted over your front door. So it's just more of like an angel figure. It never really was described like what it looked like at all. Um, but in the Prince of Egypt, it's just like a white, like a white, uh, essence. Um, in Christianity, there is the death is personified as one of the four horsemen in the apocalypse who rides a white horse. Um, and some people say that horse's name is Thanatos, which leads back to that. Um, but one of my favorite is in Latvia. Um, Latvia, they have um, a goddess who she is always wearing white. Um, white is kind of the color that indicates death or rebirth um, or the world of the dead or things that are related to death, so not black like we have here. Um, she is also holding a sickle in her hands instead of a scythe. And a sickle is the same idea as a scythe, it's just handheld. So just a curved blade in your hand instead of a curved blade on a staff. But there is a painting in 1897 called Death by the Latvian painter. Sorry if I mess up your name, but you're probably dead now. Um, Janice Rosenthal's. Yes. A man who painted this beautiful painting, which I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with. It's a woman who's holding a baby who has recently died and it is wrapped in a white blanket and then there is a woman who is also wrapped in a white shroud and she is bent over the baby's head like and she doesn't look menacing or anything and she has bare feet and she's holding the sickle like really low and she's just like it looks like she's about to just like gently take the baby with her um and so she's not menacing and that was one of the big things that I kept seeing is in a lot of places we think of the Grim Reaper as somebody who is coming for you and he will like knock down your door and slice you off so he can he can take you with you to his collection. But in a lot of places, um the Grim Reaper or the like the escort, the psychopomp is is really just somebody who is there to like comfort you and it, it doesn't really enjoy the job or not enjoy the job. They're just it's what they do and so they respectfully will take you with them um because they're not really like good or evil they're just very neutral and death Mm. comes for everybody and everything so it just plays like that kind of nice role and that is what i have on the grim reaper what do we think good job i didn't know um i it's weird i hadn't I, like, knew about mythology and stuff, but I hadn't really made the connection of, like, the Grim Reaper evolving from, like, the ferryman on, like, the River Styx or, like, the ferryman in, um, like, Egyptian mythology, too. Um, But, like, that's, yeah, that's obviously where it came from, this being that escorts you to the underworld. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's interesting how, like, all basically all faiths and religions and even like mythos have like shockingly common themes and characters right and that's why that was one of the kind of the things that like led me away from my basic beliefs as a christian because like i saw so many parallels in everything and i was i just kind of saw like maybe you know maybe there's kind of like an all roads to the same place kind of thing um 
it which and also i listen i wanted to like include so many other like different death personified things but there are so many that i had to keep it to like five um because also like ancient egyptian like death um that's a whole cool thing that i that i barely even like remember but there's a whole like weighing of your heart and against a feather and if not then it's like eaten by a crocodile yeah yeah they had a really specific process especially for wealthy people who died Mm -hmm. i um i tutored kids this summer who were very interested in like ancient egypt so we did a whole unit on it where we talked about mummies and like egyptian mythology and death lore they were fascinated kids love death yeah because they're like we're not gonna die anytime soon (laughs) i mean i just think yeah i think they're super curious about it um although one of my kiddos she was starting she was like starting to get a little older she was just a couple years away from like preteendom, and she was like starting to understand mortality for the first time <laughs> and i remember we were talking one day and she was like um she was like nothing ha- did you know that nothing happens when you die she like just looked at me and said that and i was like um I do now. <laughs> well, well, some people think that, and and some people think you know that other things happen, like you go to heaven or you're reincarnated. And she was like, "I just think it's nothing." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, yeah, I do too, but I'm polite enough not to bring it up at tennis practice <laughs> <laughs> on a Thursday <laughs> at three o'clock in the afternoon." But yeah, and then she started, like, she asked me, like, a lot of questions about it. And I had to just keep telling her, like, no one really knows. Like, but you don't, you won't have to worry about it for a long time. And she was like, sometimes I just, like, I can't sleep because I think about death. (laughs) And I used to be the same way when I was a kid. It was like, I had this weird (laughs) fascination with it when I was, like, probably, like, you know, young, like, in like six or seven when I like kind of st- started to understand death but not really and then I was just really curious you know when you have like your first pet that dies or your grandparent dies or something and then it was like as I got to like around I think like nine to twelve I start that's when my like fear of death developed because I started to have a deeper understanding of it and that it was ha- gonna happen to me and to everyone that I loved um I used to have like nightmares about everyone in my family becoming zombies and me being the only one that oh no (laughs) like was it a zombie uh i had like these reoccurring nightmares like that so it's just interesting how i don't know a relationship to death develops over time and and all throughout like different cultures yeah yeah, and how like everyone wants to explain it or like understand it or assign something like assign something human to it yeah I found that I find that very interesting because like and like I said there were so many like this isn't a new thing this has been going on since the dawn of time and most likely way I mean me and Bailey will never die but like if we did (laughs) you know later into our what like 800s 900s 10,000s there's gonna be a lot more and you know this is kind of like a coming out for me and Bailey um we are the Grim Reapers. Yes. Um, we're going to take your souls together. Yeah. That question that I asked at the beginning, no coincidence. I just thought it would be funny. Um, I bring Charles the souls and he decides how they come back. Yeah. 
Like, I'm sure you've met either one of us, maybe, and maybe you haven't. Maybe, or maybe you're just listening to our voice for the first time. You don't even know what we really look like, but you can if you check out our social media. You might think that sounds oddly familiar. You know, they look oddly familiar to me. And the reason is, you've met us before. We were there when you last died and before you were last born. And we'll be there again. Isn't Um, that comforting? (laughs) So, I went in kind of a different direction. Okay. I'm going to tell you about near-death experiences. Okay. But do you have a a would-you-rather question? I do. Okay. So. (laughs) Is it better than mine? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. So, would you rather you you pass away and you get to heaven? And listen, God. Okay. So, God is Lady Gaga. Uh, I know it. And. Lady Gaga performs like concert like concerts all the time. But and <laughs> she's like subtly homophobic. No. Or <laughs> would you rather God just be like an average white guy from like your chem class in college? But he's like he's like cool, but just like that level of like boring. Hmm. Well, I'd rather not my whole visage and um, love of Lady Gaga be dashed by her being slightly homophobic. But you get free concerts. Look, like all if the she's time. going to heaven anyway. She's not. This is the only, in this reality, the only way you get Gaga after you're dead is if she's like just a little bit homophobic. She's <laughs> just a little bit homophobic. <laughs> I don't want her to be that. So I'm going to go with just average Joe from chem class. You're, He's going to be like, oh, yeah, hey. Yeah, you died. Kevin. Yeah. And I'm like, hey. And you have to dress like him. So you're only wearing tees and basketball shorts forever. That's what I'm wearing literally right now. <laughs> So, yeah, everyone can see you. <laughs> oh. Well, I can make it cute. Um, some days you can tuck it in. <laughs> Maybe one day you could crop it. You know what I mean? You do like a French tuck of your t-shirt into your right. basketball. Right. You, you could do like full tuck. You could do high-waisted. You could do crop. You could go for the whole longer silhouette, you know? So... All right, you and Kevin are going to have a great time up there. Yeah, which I wanted to bring up. If the Grim Reaper's hot, you know I'm going to try to sleep with the Grim Reaper. No, stop. It's going to happen. I'm a gay man. Kevin's not hot. He's just, like, very normal. Oh, that's fine. Um, I'm going to tell you four different... Wait, what would you choose, you dumb crab? I'd just deal with Lady Gaga being, like, a little bit homophobic. (laughs) She's like, the right track, baby, and I guess it's all right. (laughs) And I guess it's Or you're like, I meet her, and I'm like, I'm just, you know, being gay, like, and she's like, oh, you're one of those fans. But it's not like, it's not like Uh, over. It's just like, mm. it's just like a little bit. Like a, like a. like, oh, you're gay. Mm." And then she just changes the subject. And then she's like, so. Have you heard Chromatica? <laughs> I'm going to tell you four near-death experiences. Three of them are stories from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. Um, so okay. that 
The Near-Death Experience Research Foundation is a free public service where um, they do conduct research on near-death experiences and they also allow people to share their own near-death experiences and have them recorded on the website for anyone to read. Um, And then certain shared experiences are marked as exceptional experiences and they're either marked as exceptional experiences because they have like a high level of detail um so it's not like it's not like a vague experience it's very detailed specific experience it's very different from what we experience in this realm um or because it has like they have verifiable facts um Mm. so it's like someone will come back from death with like the knowledge that that they shouldn't have and it's been able to be verified that Mm. yes Mm -hmm. okay so these uh the first three i'm going to tell you are all marked as exceptional experiences from the near-death experience research foundation and the mission of the foundation is to research and study consciousness experiences and to spread the message of love unity and peace around the world oh i like that okay so the first, and I'm going to be telling you them like as they're written, so they'd be in first person. Um, so the first. No, these are I'm, all your stories. <laughs> these are all mine. Uh, so the first person I'm going to tell you her, their story is Carrie B. So Carrie suffered an anaphylactic shock from an unknown allergy when she was walking her dog one night, and she made it back home and collapsed, unable to breathe, while trying to meet her wife and the paramedics her wife had summoned in their parking garage. (gasps) We love a lesbian romance. (laughs) Okay, so these are Carrie's words. I remember thinking to myself, this is how I'm going to go out? Really? I fell to the floor in the hallway after not being able to breathe, and what happened next was life-changing. I Just like an aside, I love that. (laughs) Like... This is what's gonna ha- really. This is right. what's gonna kill me. I feel like that's exactly like how I would feel. Oh, sidebar! Um, I once took a quiz on Facebook a long time ago when I was in like eighth grade that said that I would die by choking eating chips. And you know I love chips, so now every do. time I eat chips, I slightly think in the back of my mind, <laughs> "This is the last bag of chips I'll ever have." It's possible. Any bag of chips could be the last bag of chips. I also choked have. on water today and thought this I could. Is it. I might die. Um, okay, back into Carrie. As I took my last breath, my eyes closed in death, and they opened in a beautiful, radiant, white, limitless light. It was crystal clear. My physical form was no longer a human form. I was a light body. I could tell because I could see my reflection, and it was like looking in a mirror. I found myself pulled up through the light at an accelerated rate of speed. It was like I was being sucked through the air by a powerful yet gentle and loving force. It was like I was riding a cosmic elevator. I wasn't afraid though. All I could feel was love that was so powerful that I knew I was going home. Isn't that cool? That is cool. And you I love played... the description of a cosmic elevator. I love that too. You played that character very okay. well. Um, but there's more. Okay, I'm going to try not to cry, because when I read this one, it made me cry. Hey, oh, hi, Albus. Um, so after, so she's on, she gets sucked up into this light on this cosmic elevator. Okay, that's where we're at. Okay. While continuing on at an accelerated speed, I was stopped by my grandparents who came out of the void. They were luminous light bodies that I could recognize by their energy. I could feel them. They were apologetic and wanted to let me know that they were sorry. 
Oh no, I'm gonna cry. Okay. Through Suck it up. Sorry. Through telepathy, they said that now that they are on the other side, they understand that by being gay, I had to live in so much fear. I had to live in terrified silence during my childhood and didn't come out until I was 31. By being gay, I lived in fear in my own home because my mom would have beat me or kicked me out of the house. Being gay had a particular stigma associated with it because it meant that my sin was unique. I was taught that I was an abomination destined to be in the lake of fire since I grew up as a Southern Baptist in the Bible Belt. In 2009, I had been targeted in a hate crime because I was gay, attacked, and left for dead on the street. I understood that my what my grandparents were telling me. It made me feel good to hear this apology. They said it wasn't my time and I needed to go back. They radiated love through their energy. I accepted their apology. I said, I love you too, but I have somewhere else to go. As I pointed toward the light, I affectionately shooed them away. They displayed a sense of humor, almost in arrogance, as they honored my wish and moved back into the void. That okay. is... Okay. There's more. Okay. <laughs> Try to keep it together. At that moment, I looked up and saw my destination. I was looking in awe at God. It was like everything was happening at once. As I was staring up at God in amazement, every gay slur or violent act ever impressed upon me ran through me with such a flow. Events in my life played back in my mind like a movie. I felt a deep heaviness as I stared directly at an almighty, genderless God. I was thinking, was this the lake of fire moment? Would I be cast into hell for being an abomination? With absolute humility, I uttered seven words, I'm gay. Will you still love me? I've read this already. <laughs> okay. Last paragraph. We can make it. <laughs> the brilliant, loving light formed into wings. At God's feet, he whisked me into his vast spiritual arms while holding up, huddling up the universe. I saw planets, stars, galaxies, and clusters all being brought into a cosmic God hug. On, on a huge... Um, on a human, the place where I was taken would be the heart. As God brought me in for a cosmic hug, he said, You are my child. I love you. I love you. I love you. Go tell him. And this is my favorite part. He said it with a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> he patted me on the back like a coach, encouraging his player to get back in the game. And then she, she came back, too, and was revived by paramedics. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Her first words were, "Go." she sang, go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of God being this, like, genderless southern being. <laughs> right. <laughs> go tell him. <laughs> go get him, girl. You go tell him. Uh, yeah. That's, I just that is comforting. I know. Yeah, that was really sweet. And then this idea of like... It was kind of scary, but... Right? But this idea, too, of like her making amends with her grandparents and... That, I think, was my favorite part. Yeah. And them, like, understanding. Um, Okay, that was my longest one. So, um, this next one is the story of Lacey T., who had this near-death experience... um, in a motorcycle accident. Okay, and this is her story. 
My husband and I were riding our motorcycle and we had a terrible accident. During the accident, my body was slammed to the ground. I left my body lying on the ground and found myself in a starry tunnel. I knew that if I let myself go all the way through it, I wouldn't come back. There was no fear or pain. I felt infinite love, but at the same time, I was focused on my struggle not to reach the end of the tunnel. I knew I didn't want to leave my children and that I needed to call emergency services for my husband. I'm stepping out of the story for the moment. I think it's so interesting how it's like this weird state of like um, consciousness of like this new plane that you're entering and then consciousness of what's still going on back. Yeah. Back and also, in like reality. Also, when at first you said let myself, I thought she says wet myself. <laughs> I knew that if I wet myself, um, I would be so embarrassed. I'd be so embarrassed. Like I don't want to meet God with wet pants. Uh, so, so sorry, I was trying God. To keep I it together. Peed. Uh, um, I also love the idea of traveling through a starry tunnel. Uh, me too. Uh, also, do you notice like this common theme of like even like not just these two stories, but, like, always this common theme of, like, being, like, sucked or, like, flying, like, at rapid speeds. Yeah. Yeah, or, like, this, like... And, like, it always has a lot to do with light, too. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot... I read a lot of stories before I picked these three, and a lot, like, almost every story has to do with with light in some form, some experience of light or energy. It is interesting. A lot okay. of people surmise that, like, that light that you see is your eyes opening into your next life. Like, so, like, born or, like, babies open their eyes. Oh, like, through reincarnation? Yeah. Which is cool. I had a dream that I was reincarnated. And I, in my dream, I could feel my memories of my past life slipping away. Oh, wow. As I became, con- like, I, like, woke up as... So a lot happened before, but I knew I was about to be reincarnated. I like woke up as a baby and I felt my consciousness like start to slip away as it became like baby brained where like I didn't know anything. It was really weird. I had a dream where I was putting together a giant peanut butter sandwich for a whole town. So. So we both have dreams. Yep. Back to Lacey. (laughs) (laughs) As I began to fly through the tunnel, the first thing I noticed was that I was looking down on the embankment that we had crashed into. I felt the pool to go on further, getting stronger and stronger. I saw a light appear at the end of the tunnel, but I kept fighting with all my strength to stop and go no further. Suddenly, I was in a field of tall, beautiful green grass that was undulating in waves, yet there was no wind. Overhead, the sky was pink slash rosy slash purple, and I felt a strong sense of well-being as if I were in a wonderful paradise, a sort of garden of Eden. That's just, like, so Uh, beautiful. I, I, like, closed my eyes for a minute to, like, see it. It was just, it's nice. Yeah. Um, Okay. I saw my husband walking toward me through the grass. We looked at each other, and without talking, I understood that he had died. I knew that at this moment we had to say goodbye. He let me know that he will be waiting for me, but for now, why am I going to cry on all of these? But for now, I need to care for our boys. (laughs) Then I was on the ground again, back in my body and feeling overwhelming pain. Despite my serious injuries, I got up and walked. I was afraid I would die if I let myself just lie there. I had nine broken ribs, a hemonumothorax, which is air and blood in the chest cavity. One fractured vertebra, my thumb, joint, and my knee were seriously sprained, and both shoulder blades were broken. 
When I was told that my husband had died in the accident, I already knew. Ugh. That is a lot for a person to experience right there. I know. But it's also, like, it must be very comforting to, like, believe that you have the knowledge that you're going to see that person again. Yeah. I think that's what carries a lot of people through grief. Yeah. Is the fact that someday they'll see them again. I think that's, like, another reason why death is, like, so sad and scary to me is because I don't necessarily have that belief. I want it. I want to. Like, I want it to be true. But I just don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's another reason why it's so scary to me is you can build so much love and life between yourself and another person and then it can just all be gone. But It is scary. But <laughs> maybe not for Lacey because her husband told her that um, he was waiting for. Yeah, okay. I'll see her again. So uh, the last one that I'm going to tell you from the Near Death Experience Research Foundation is the story of Kate. Kate. So Kate believes that her heart stopped as a result of interaction between two medications. All right. Here's Kate's story. The moment my heart stopped, the void became deeper and deeper until it felt like I it felt like it expanded forever. I sensed that the darkness was about to part to reveal a marvelous light. Then I felt the presence of my deceased grandfather. I don't remember everything that was said, but basically it was revealed to me that I could move on if I wanted to. But once I reached the light, I would not be able to return to my body. That's another thing. Stepping out of the story. There's a lot of times this, like, point of no return. Yeah. Or, like, experiences. or in, in, like, the same regards, that point of, like, you can go back now. Like, yeah, you, like, you have to make like, a choice. Because yeah. Because if you keep going, you're not going to be able to go back. I wonder, like, where that comes from and why it's such know. a common experience. Um, okay. Back to the story. He did not want me to end my life, though, because I still had some important lessons to be learned in this lifetime. He said that after I learned what I needed to about love, that it would be my time to go. I have a chronic illness, and this last year, I have narrowly avoided death five times. My illness almost claimed me three times. I was also crossing the street when I fell felt an unseen force push me backwards out of the path of an oncoming car. And last of all, I nearly fell off a cliff. He said that it was no accident that my life uh, had been spared each one of those times. And what I needed to learn in this life is so vital that I really needed to go back. I felt a force pushing me back into my body and I resumed breathing. I tried to get out of bed, but I still felt so disconnected with my body in a way that I could barely move. I had no idea how long this continued, but as I lay there motionless, I felt at times my body would start getting cold and my awareness would start trying to expand outside my body again, only to be pushed back by an unseen force. I kind of love this <laughs> of like her, it's like her grandfather being like, no bitch, like get get in there, get in right. there. <laughs> and then she's like, well, what if just I like, just Just like shoving her back away. in like... I told you, you have to stay. <laughs> you haven't learned. Right. Um, this is really interesting. So she says, at one moment during this time, I felt the presence of two other deceased spirits. One was more prominent than the other was. 
I received the knowledge from him that they were two young men in this lifetime who had recently passed on from a tragic car accident. I received other details such as his name, the location, and the circumstances revolving around the accident. He told me the same thing as my grandfather as far as the fact that I'd still had things to learn in this life. During the entire experience, I also felt the presence of my higher self. I can't really put this part into words except to say that I, uh, that I have felt connected to the same higher self during different times in my life when I felt truly loving and connecting with others. The next thing I remember is waking up several hours later. I suffered no ill effects except a horrible headache and a temporary short-term memory loss, which I suspect may have been a result from the oxygen deprivation rather than the medications themselves. Needless to say, I was kind of in a daze the entire next day. At first, I thought I just wanted to move on, but later I went on the internet and started to look up car accidents in the news. After just a few minutes of searching, I saw a picture of a young man who had recently died in a car crash with his friend. I felt chills go up and down my spine. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting chills. I felt chills go up and down my spine because his name, the location and circumstances around the accident and his picture all corresponded with exactly what was revealed to me the previous night. I never met him in this life, but I feel like there is some deeper meaning to why he was there. I have continued to feel his presence after my experience and feel like maybe he has become kind of like a spirit guide. This experience has deeply affected me and made me even more determined to continue to manage my illness and live the rest of my life to the very fullest. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. That's crazy. I know. That's a, That all would also be a cool afterlife that if you got to go like become like a, be a spirit, a spirit guy. guy. I was just thinking yeah. about that. We're the same That'd be person. really cool. We're going to be each other's spirit guides. Maybe one of us already <laughs> is. Who's not telling the truth? <laughs> one of us is a ghost. Um, yeah, I think that would be... I'd be down with that. It's you. You're definitely the ghost. Then again, my you dark think. circles really <laughs> might prove that I am. Yeah. <laughs> that your live Victorian child figure might... <laughs> the fact that I'm like I need to sleep like 18 hours a day it's just because I'm actually dead <laughs> and so it's exhausting to pretend to be alive all the time um, and I am very pale as am I alright so the last near death experience that I'm going to tell you about is mine <laughs> like one that I already know about yes mm. because I think you know about all of them but I'm, it's really short, so I'm just going to kind of, like, go over it and explain what happened to me and, like, um, kind of the, like, similarities and and differences to okay. some other near-death experiences that we, we just read about and that I read about in my research. Okay. So, Charles is like, I already know this story. <laughs> is it the car crash? Yeah. Okay. So in um, 2014, I was in a car accident. I will preface this by saying that everyone in the accident survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone's like pretty much like okay now, physically. Um, and I was in a car accident with three of my friends. Me and one of my friends both got ejected from the car. And I had like a really weird um near-death experience so i i felt myself leave the car and start flying through the air and i knew like i just felt like i knew i was going to die 
And as someone who's very afraid of death, you, I would think that I would have felt really terrified, but I had this like weird sensation where as I'm flying through the air, so first of all, I blacked out and it was just like darkness. I couldn't really see anything. Um, and I, it felt like time slowed down and it felt like I was flying through the air for like quite a while when you know it was probably just a few seconds. And um, I remember thinking like, I, I just thought you're, you're dying. and But I didn't feel scared or panicked or anything. I just thought, oh, when I hit the ground, I'll be dead. And I remember being surprised that I didn't mind. <laughs> um, I just felt this like incredible sense of peace and like weightlessness and I did have the whole life flash before my eyes moment um it went by so fast and I just felt I just saw like clips it was almost like clips of like home movies and I've always had like memory problems so it was really weird that I was able to even like conjure up enough of like a reel of my life to play um and I just saw all these little like flashes of moments from my life and it was weird because it was just like a like a snapshot but I I could like it's hard to describe but it was like I could feel the feeling of that memory that I was seeing in that split second that I that I saw it and I felt just totally at peace And I remember thinking like, oh, this is what death is. It's just peace. And I didn't feel afraid. And then I did hit the ground. (laughs) And I I didn't die. Um, And I I hit uh, on like my side, the side of my... So my legs were facing one way and my torso was like facing the sky. And so I landed on like my hip and then my back and then my head and my head like bounced off the ground and I felt, I felt that. And then I had, I had like temporarily regained my sight like right before I hit the ground. And then I blacked out again when I hit my head um, because I hit my head really hard. And then I thought like, and then I thought I was dead, but I realized that I, that I wasn't. And so I... But I, but I wasn't in that weird like space. I felt like I, when I was flying through the air and I felt, I felt like I was already going. Like I had like already, that probably doesn't make sense. I felt like my consciousness, I kind of already made the choice that I was dying and it was like leaving. Uh, but when I hit the ground, and I realized I was still alive. I kind of felt like that's, it's, it's like a lot of people talk about like reentering your body. And I kind of felt that, uh, I felt back in this world, on this plane. Um, and yeah, I, I broke almost all of my bones. <laughs> um, I had a collapsed lung. I had uh, a really bad knock to my head. Um, and I I survived and I'm fine. Uh, I went was bedridden for about a month and then I, and I had a few surgeries and I went through physical therapy and now I'm fine. Um, but yeah, I do think it's really interesting how like kind of across all of these 
experiences that I've talked about is this like sensation of like being enveloped in like love or peace and like not feeling afraid. And I don't know if that's like shock or like some chemicals that release in your brain when you are like, when you're about to die. Um, But it's comforting to know for me, something that whenever I'm faced with that, like the fear that I have of death is it's comforting for me to think back on the fact that I wasn't afraid when I was actually sure I was going to die. And hopefully when it is really my time, I won't, I won't be afraid then either. Yeah. I did not expect to get teary eyed again. (laughs) (laughs) I was a lot less emotional than when I lived it, but I, yeah, that was a scary time for me. That was something I was scared about. Was it, was it scary for you? It was. I thought you were dead. (laughs) And yeah, I remember that I was going to take that trip and then I said, never mind. I'm just going to, like, stay home. Yeah, because we were on a road trip, and you were invited, and you you almost came, but then you decided not to. Yeah. And yeah, I remember finding out that you all had been, like, in a wreck, and then thinking, like, you were going to die, because they were... I don't even remember how I found out, but... I don't know if somebody called. Oh. So it was somebody who was in the car, one of their siblings talked to me. And then it all just like snowballed from there. And they were looking for like contact information for Bailey. I remember that. And then I remember a theater director who was a terrible man calling me and being like, what happened? And I was like, or, or like what happened, but also like recounting and telling me like what did happen and that you guys were in the hospital. And then I remember I started crying and he was like, it's okay. Like they're fine. Like they're in, like they're stable. And I'm like, stable doesn't mean fine. Like stable just means she's like, she could be on a ventilator, right? Like that means stable. Like, yeah. It's, Cause you were, you were in the ICU. So like, it wasn't like you were just like, and they oh, didn't they yeah. didn't know for a while if we were gonna make it or not especially the the two of us that got ejected because they i mean you kind of have to assume a lot of internal damage because it's likely especially i broke all of my ribs so it's not uncommon for your ribs to like puncture an organ or something like that so so yeah a lot of people that like didn't didn't know and um there was like you know it's just this horrible game of telephone because it was me and three people from our college and so it was like all these like college students relaying the information to each other right and then I remember you calling me and it was like way I don't know a couple days after maybe more and yeah, because I was under, I was not awake for the first, like, after I got to the hospital, I, I passed out and I didn't wake up for 24 hours. Right. And I remember you calling me and then I was like, but I remember you calling me and then 
you were like crying and saying like it's so good to hear your voice and I remember crying and being like it's so good to hear your voice like are you kidding me and then you were so like doped up on drugs <laughs> that you went from like it's so good to hear your voice and you're like yeah um so I like yeah I guess I'm like fine now um, and I'll probably be home soon <laughs> and I was like okay like yeah yeah they had me on the good drugs yeah she was <laughs> doped up real hard because she was uh had a lot of broken things yeah man that sucked i don't recommend it um yeah also like i kept asking so it's weird because when i was like sure i was dying when i talk about that moment where i feel like my like consciousness or my spirit or whatever like started like kind of assumed that it was over when I was like back in my body and I realized that I hadn't died I got then be, then is when I became scared of dying so we were out there on like the side of the road for like an hour I think before anyone found us and then by the time the paramedics came and I knew I'd hit my head really bad and I was just like I kept asking them if I was gonna die and all they would tell me is we're doing everything we can yeah it was so scary. No, I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't. I'm not wow. going to sue you, right? If I do, if you tell me that I'm not going to die, and then I die, I'm not going to sue you because I'll be dead. <laughs> right. So just lie to me. <laughs> I don't think they can. I know, like, because of their ethics or whatever. But I really. And then, so I get to the hospital. I'd ask the paramedics, and they were like, "We're doing everything we can." I get to into like my little triage room at the hospital. I ask the nurse, and she's like, "We're doing everything we can." So at this point, I'm like, "Oh, I'm for sure dying." And then the chaplain oh, walks yeah. in and I literally screamed and then I screamed and I was like, ah, and he was like, ah, and he was like, why are you yelling? And I said, you're here to read me my last rites. And he goes, you're not going to die. And I said, thank you. And then I passed <gasps> out. I woke up 24 hours later after my first surgery. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you're not going to die. You're like, oh, okay. I was like, like I, mean, I think I was just hanging on to like being awake until someone told me. Right. <laughs> because when I was back, that it was then I was like scared, and I realized like I hadn't died. Then that's when I got scared. So weird. I mean, I guess it's also like reassuring, in a way, to be like somebody is helping you. Like we're doing all we can. That's also like reassuring to hear, but maybe no. not to Bailey. <laughs> No, um, because like I, what I, what you want to hear in that scenario is is no, no, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. <laughs> you don't want to hear. Well, we're we're giving it a shot. You know, we're yeah. we're putting our best foot forward when it comes to saving you. <laughs> I guess, like I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't really know unless it was happening. But I feel like now, I would feel like at least somebody is like trying to keep me alive. I think it's implied by the fact that they're like, you know, shooting you up with drugs and moving your bones around and stuff. I, I'd be shocking to me if the paramedics were actively trying to kill me. <laughs> like, am I going to die? They're like, oh, yeah, for they're, sure. Oh, for sure. This dude. is just a formality, really. This there, There's literally nothing in the syringe. It's, it's, I'm, it, this is my child's doctor kit. <laughs> like. <laughs> we this are is Doc actually McStuffins. doing everything we can to kill you. <laughs> you just won't die. Yeah, I feel I feel weird, but like better than I thought I would. I was really nervous about this topic. Yeah, 
I also feel weird, but then my brain is like, eh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you are really good about like brushing things off, like not letting them. Yeah, them which sometimes can be really good. Sometimes it's problematic, I guess. But like uh, when my relationship of five years ended, and you were like, "Well, it's over now, so move on." <laughs> <laughs> is that what I said to you specifically? Well, it's over now. Move on. Yes. You did say that to me. Oh, well. Honestly, honestly, like some of the best advice <laughs> I've been given. Well, well it's over it was... now. Move on. It's done. It was. And, and now I tell myself ready... that anytime something ends and I'm sad about it, I'm like, it's over now. Move on. There's going to be something, something better. And if it's not better, it's at least going to be different, which is sometimes just as good. I mean, you're still allowed to grieve obviously i what i tell most people now when it's like unless somebody dies i that's something you can't really i cannot give advice on but when it comes to like relationships ending or things like that it's like take your time to grieve but don't sit in it like yeah no and what what did trixie and katya say no dick is that good (laughs) (laughs) like it'll and come on your ex really like it it was I'd I was already not a fan most days so when were, it ended I was like you, what you meant Thank was God. I've already moved on so yeah, I was like I've already moved on so like you can too <laughs> I moved on before it was even over so it's right. time for you to go it was, it was over to me. me before it was even over <laughs> like oh yeah they're they're done oh, they're God. like are they still together and I'm like oh no <laughs> not to me <laughs> well like they're um, together but like no no it's like yeah it's and that's how that's what i'm gonna say you know when you die it's over move on yeah if you die before me and then i meet you in the afterlife as one of my guides up the vacuum tunnel then you're gonna be like hey like here to comfort you blah blah blah. but like also it's over move on also it's it's move on bye bitch (laughs) and we take hands and fly up together into god's Oh, yeah. I I think it was, like, yeah, like, she was, like, in God's heart with, like, the whole universe wrapped up in his arms. That's, like, such a cool image. Right. That is beautiful. I hope I don't but, get stuck in, like, the throat. Or the butthole. Yeah. Or the peen. Well, it was genderless. Yeah. Sexless. But buttholes have no sex. Well. That's right. <laughs> well. Don't they? <laughs> But regardless (laughs) of whether you have a penis bone, a vagina bone, or a butthole bone, death comes for us all. And that's why it's a scary world out there. So hold on to those you love. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) What kind of ending was that? I like it.